0: going to get into the book of Ephesians. We're in a series on Ephesians. It's going to be 22 weeks. This is week 4. If you've got your Bible, you can open up to chapter 1. We're going to be in chapter 1 for the final time tonight. We're going to be in verse 15 through to verse 23. The scriptures will be up on the on the on the screens if you don't have your Bible. But before we get there, I want to ask you a question. What do you pray about? You do need to really think about this because you're about to tell the person next to you. But before you do that, I just want to speak to anyone who's in the room who maybe you're saying, sorry, what do I pray about? I don't even believe in God, so why would I be praying? So I just want to say to you, that's absolutely fine. I'm so glad you're in the room. We love having everyone in the room. But tonight, you're going to hear about a topic, which is prayer, and the God of the Bible speaks and he listens when we speak. And so you just invited to listen along because we're gonna be dipping into prayer tonight and maybe you're gonna be amazed at the God of the Bible from this message. But if you're a Christ follower, I want you to think about this. If you think about the prayers in your life for the last few days, or if you're honest, some of you, maybe your last few prayers because there haven't been a few in the last few days, So, whether it was the last few prayers or the last few in the last days, I want you to categorize. There's four categories here. I want you, you only have to choose one. You have to to choose one. What would categorize your prayers most, the content of your prayers? Prayers, praise and thanks, or prayers where you've been basically praying for spiritual growth and that you would know God better, or prayers which are really private requests, Sometimes it's for guidance, but it could be for other stuff. Maybe you want to win the lotto, or I don't know. Or or maybe it's been prayer for others. That's been, what is, now you can't say, oh, I fit into all of those. No, no, you have to choose one. I'm sorry. And quickly turn to the person next to you and tell them which one is your one. Ready, steady, go. You're allowed to move in church. Just speak to the person next to you. And if you don't know God yet, just say, I don't pray. No problem. Okay, this shouldn't take long, both give it no long explanations, just choose a category. Okay, ready? Okay, you're going to hold on to that thought because we're going to come back to it later, okay? So today's message is all about prayer, and it is specifically what we can learn about faith and we can learn about prayer from a prayer that is in the Scriptures. And so As we jump into this passage, I just want to, before we jump into the passage, look at a few things that some Christians have said about prayer that I think are really great. Let's just have a look at the first one. This guy, Oswald Chambers, said this, we have to pray with our eyes on God, not on difficulties. There's a really important point there. Thank you very much. There's a very important point there. When you pray, what you believe about God really matters, because if you don't believe that God is God, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. There's no point praying to someone who's not God, is there? So when you pray, you've got to actually be more impressed with God than distressed about your difficulties in front of you. Secondly, this person said, Tim Keller, prayer is a means to praise and adore God, to know Him, to come into His presence and to be changed by Him, not to get the things we need. What I love about this quote is that it it hits on this thing that sometimes we we treat God like a genie in a bottle. You know, and the bottle just sits there, and you think every now and then you rub it, and He must come out, and you say, okay, this is what I need you to do for me. But actually, this quote is saying that prayer is about a relationship. And in fact, Jesus told us to pray, our Father who is in heaven, Is relationship. Thirdly, like this guy, he says, prayer is weakness, that's us, leaning on omnipotence, all power. Prayer acknowledges our weakness. It acknowledges, I can't do this. In fact, if you're not praying, you're saying, I've got this. But when you're praying, you're saying, God, I don't have this. I'm trusting that you've got this. It's weakness leaning on omnipotence. And lastly, I like this one, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees or on her knees. When you get out of bed, you don't have to get on your knees to pray, but imagine you get out of bed and you get on your knees, I believe the devil goes, oh no, they're starting to pray. Give him a bad day tomorrow. Get on your knees and pray. When you pray, you unleash the power of heaven. Amen. Let's jump into Ephesians chapter one. This is a prayer of Paul's and let's learn three things from it. Ephesians chapter one from verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus, and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And now he prays for them. "...that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what are the immeasurable greatness of His power towards those who believe." according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Out of this passage, I want us to just take three, three points for tonight. Firstly, the sovereignty of God, the, the authority and the power of God is our motivation for prayer, and we take that primarily from verse 15, because verse 15, if we look at it, says this, for this reason, that's kind of like a therefore, and it's actually pointing back to the 14 verses that have been leading up to this point. And if you've been here for the last three weeks, you would have heard that we've heard about the glorious action of God in saving us. It's God who saves us. We don't save us. God saves us. It's His doing. It's, it's be- and because it's His doing, Paul looks back at God's amazing work in saving us, And he's basically saying, for that reason, I haven't stopped giving thanks to God for you. And so when he sees what God's been doing in their lives, he just can't stop thanking God. And... Because God initiates our salvation and God is the one who actually saves us, Paul is right to then pray to God, asking God to not just save them, but to carry on working in their lives and transform them. And so that is exactly what he's doing here. Friends, the sovereignty of God for the Apostle Paul, God being in control of all things is not a reason not to pray. You know, I've heard some people say, even in this church, well, if God planned everything, if God's kind of got it all sorted, and then, then what's the point of praying? Because God's kind of going to do it anyway. If God is so in control, then what's the point of praying? Let God just do what God's going to do and we'll find out. But I want to give you another way of thinking about it. If God is sovereign, which He is, Well, let's say this, if God was not sovereign, there would be no point in praying. Because if God was not sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent, and if He was not loving towards those that He chose before the foundation of the earth, then there would be no point praying. Absolutely no point. You see, what's the point of praying to a dead God or an impotent God? There is no point, but because God is sovereign, because he's omniscient and omnipotent and he's our loving heavenly father, you have all the motivation you need to pray because you know who you're praying to. Remember that quote, be more, be more focused on who God is than on your problems. Because you know who God is and because he's sovereign, it's worth praying to God. And so we should ask the question, so what should we pray for? What should we pray for for ourselves? Remember the thing that you did earlier? The four categories. What should we pray for ourselves? What should we pray for other people? And we're going to look from the scriptures and answer that question. The second point from this passage is that we should pray that we would know God better. That's actually what the Apostle Paul is praying for these believers. Of all the things, Paul says he prays and prays and prays. Of all the things he could have prayed over them, the one thing that he prioritizes is that they would know God better. You know, and interestingly, in our world, in the the thinking of our day, people in our world would make the priority of their pursuit in life, they make the priority of their pursuit something other than that. They make the priority of their lives, the pursuit of their lives, achievement or or, or, or acquiring some possession or some status, or they make the pursuit of their life, our, our, our media is full of this, the knowledge of myself. I just need to know myself and love myself better, and then everything will be sorted. But actually, that is not what the Scriptures do. You see, our world puts humanity and us at the center, but this passage puts God at the center. This passage says that the greatest biblical pursuit is the pursuit of wanting to know God better. Not wanting to know yourself better, but wanting to know God better. And friend, if you want to know yourself and be more satisfied and at peace within yourself, the solution is not yourself. The solution is knowing God. And when you know who God is, You'll find out who you are in context. Now, I would hazard a guess, and we're not going to embarrass anyone, but if we did a quick survey of those four categories that I gave you earlier, I would be astounded if there were more than just a few who said, All my prayers are most categorized by praying that I would know God better. I think we would have filled it up with other things. But in the scriptures, The greatest thing that we could pray for is that we would know God better. So I want to ask you this question. Do you know God enough? Have you like gotten to the end of of the knowledge of God? Have you got God waxed? You know, you've you've bought the t-shirt, you've done that. Surely the answer to that question has to be no, I haven't. I don't know everything there is to know about God. In fact, if your answer is that, no, I don't think there's anything more I need to know about God, then I would say to you, you probably don't know God. And that's fine. You're in church, you're on a journey. But if you truly have seen who God is, you'll realize that the more you see of God, the more you want to see. Because surely knowing more and more of the magnificent nature of God, more and more of His character, more and more of His being, more and more of His immeasurable riches of grace and mercy, knowing more and more of the depths of His majestic and unmatched glory and grace and holiness, more and more of His love and His awesome power, surely knowing more of that is the insatiable desire of every single person who's put their faith in Jesus. And so that the more that you know, the more you want to know of God. If, if, if I'm sounding a little bit strange to you, and, and you, you, you've never really thought like that, then I want to ask you to lean in, because this is what the Scriptures are all about. And so the question is, how can you know God better? How can you know God better? Well, Paul answers that question, because according to this prayer in Scripture, in verse 18, what we need is something that's not inside of us. We need a revelation. We need an aha moment that actually doesn't come from within us, it actually comes from outside of us. It's revealed to us. And so verse 18 says it when it says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know. Friend, if you want to know more of God, verse 17 says, I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you'd know Him better. And then verse 18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. If your eyes are not enlightened, you won't know. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to get tuned into God. I I have a Volkswagen Kombi and I love our Kombi. But I hate our Combis radio in Toti because you basically hear 20% of whatever's happening. I try to listen to the news in the morning, and it goes from a headline to suddenly it's the weather, and then it's the traffic, and in between it's just Have you got one of those radios in Toti? Without the help of the Holy Spirit, it's like we can't get tuned into God. There's just static all the time. But you can pray for yourself. You can pray for someone else, and God tunes you in, and suddenly, stuff's different, and it's like you can hear God, and you see differently, and you see the world differently. You see relationships differently. Friends, only God can do that in your life, and that's why we need to pray for it. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to see spiritual things, helps us to feel spiritual things that before that point, you honestly had no idea about them. But when the Holy Spirit starts working in your life, suddenly your desires change and your expectations change. And so if you want to ask, what do I pray for you as a congregation? I pray verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 1 which is what Paul's prayer is. And in the NIV translation, it reads like this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom, that's the Holy Spirit, of wisdom and revelation so that you would know Him better. I wanna urge you to make that a prayer you pray over yourself. God, I want to know you better. I can't just... Do that inside. I actually need your activity. I need the activity of the Holy Spirit to do that. I want to urge you to pray that for yourself, to pray that for your husband or your wife, to pray that over your children, to pray that over your best friend, to pray that over the, that guy over the squash club that just irritates you supremely, to pray it over your president, to pray it over the counselor in your area, to pray these things over other people. And the answer to these prayers Praying that people would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they'll know God better, there's two main ways that that will be answered. The first is, if that person you're praying for doesn't know Jesus, they're going to come to know Jesus. And secondly, if they already know Jesus, they're going to grow in their knowledge of Jesus, which is an incredible blessing. Which brings me to my third point, verses 18 and 19 in our passage. Pray that the Holy Spirit would help you, Paul says, to know three things. There are three things. He wants you to know God. We've already addressed that. Now there are three things that this tuning into the Holy Spirit will help you to know. And I want us to double click on each of those. Firstly, he wants you to know the hope to which he has called you. Secondly, He wants you to know the glorious inheritance that is yours if you're a believer in Jesus. And lastly, He wants you to know the immeasurable power, the immeasurable greatness of His power. So, let's take these one at a time. What is the hope that God has called you to? We kind of touched on this last week. We're going to come back to it. When you get saved— When you give your life to Jesus, it's not about what God wants from you, it's what God wants for you. God wants to give you. Remember, I preached last week about the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting something, grace is receiving something, and when you get saved, you get mercy, but you get grace, which is what God wants to give you. It's all the things that God wants to give you. When you come to faith in Jesus, it's kind of like running the Comrades Marathon, and you've done nine months of training, and then you get to the start line, I've never run the Comrades, and I never will, but I can kind of imagine this. You've done all this work, and you get to the start, but you're not at the end, you're at the start. And when you give your life to Jesus, it's just the start of an incredible adventure, and Paul describes it as the hope that God has called you to. Friends, having your sins forgiven is just the start line of the Christian life. Last week, I, I shared the story. Can we have the picture of that impressive house? That's my house in the Seychelles. and no, I'm joking. Um, so I was, I was explaining how last week, how the most expensive property in South Africa about a year and a bit ago was a property in Camps Bay, which sold for 389 million rand. So just imagine for a moment, because that's a bit of spare change for you, just imagine that you've just purchased that house, and as I said last night, I would expect that house to have two front doors, won't you? You know, if I'm spending that much money, I don't want one front door. I don't want to open the door. I want to open the door, okay? And so as you open the door to this mansion that's got like 70 rooms in it and entertainment areas and underground cinemas, and you come into the front door, it's like the moment you give your life to Jesus and then you just stand there in the entrance for you and you think, this is amazing. I don't need to go anywhere else. I'm just going to stay right here. And you don't explore the house at all. Well, Paul is saying here that when the person gives their life to Jesus, he's, he's praying that they would walk into the whole house. They would, they would, they would explore everything that is theirs in Jesus Christ. And so Paul here, when he's praying that they would know the hope to which they've been called to, he's praying almost that they would go and explore what it means to really have fellowship with God. God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know the peace and the joy and the assurance and the power that is yours in Jesus Christ. He wants you to have the joy of not just sitting in a meeting, but actually being bonded together with real friends who will carry you through thick and thin. That's what God wants for you. Friend, when you gave your life to Jesus, it was just the start. Everything is before you, and Paul actually wants you to live in the good of it, and that is That is why he's praying that they may know the hope that they've been called to. That's in the present life, but I think Paul's also got his eyes on the future to come. He's got his eyes on the day that Jesus Christ will return, and the incredible amazing new heaven and new earth that is set aside for the person who's put their faith in Jesus. And Paul is imagining all of that, and he's just saying, I hope, I pray that you would know that hope, that you would have your desires tuned into God, you'd have your desires enlightened. Friend, I want to say this to you. If your faith hasn't changed your desires... If your faith hasn't changed what you long for and what you're expecting, then you're probably just stuck in the entrance foyer. It's like you've just opened the front doors and you've put up a tent in the entrance foyer. When God has got a whole house for you to explore. And so I urge you to pray for yourself. I urge you to pray for others that the Holy Spirit would help you to explore all that God has for you in Christ Jesus. The second thing that he wants us to know is what is the glorious inheritance in the saints. And we touched on this again last week. You can listen to that on the web if you missed it. But there is an inheritance, a glorious reward that God has for every person who has put their faith in Jesus. So when Jesus comes back, he says he's coming. Write a book and says, Behold, I'm coming. My reward is with me. And the reward is something he wants to give those who believers. I want to say this. Ignorance never motivated anyone. Think about it. Have you ever been motivated by ignorance, by not knowing? Rory hasn't. I want to tell you a little story from a guy, from C- his name is C.S. Lewis, and he tells a story about a boy. Let's just have a look at this boy playing with the mud in the gutter. That's in the U.K., at about the turn of the century. C.S. Lewis tells the story of a boy like this, who is making mud pies in the gutter, building sandcastles with the mud in the gutter, and someone comes to him and he offers him a holiday at the beach, where he can go and make sandcastles at the seashore. But because this boy has known nothing but the slum that he lives in, because he's known nothing but the gutter and the mud in the gutter, he turns down the offer of a holiday at the beach because why would I leave? I'm having fun in the gutter. And so he turns down a holiday at the seashore. Friends, this story illustrates how not knowing inhibits good decision making. Would you agree? Not being able to imagine what a seashore is Because you've never even seen a picture of one inhibits your ability to make a good decision because you choose the mud pies in the gutter rather than the seashore. And that is why Paul surely is praying that we, that others, that we would know the future glorious inheritance that is ours because not knowing about the future glorious inheritance that is yours will cause you to make bad decisions in the present. And you could be like the child in the gutter who's holding on to playing in the gutter and saying, no, no, don't take me away to the seashore when you're making a decision based on ignorance. So Paul is praying for every believer that we might know the hope that God's called us to, that we might know the riches of God's glorious inheritance that is yours and the saints. He's praying that. Because without that knowledge of what God wants to give you in eternity, you could hold on to mud pies in this present world rather than receive what God has for you in full. And people do this all the time. And I want to urge you, if your life is all about now and the present, you're making mud pies in the gutter. And my prayer for you is that you would see the glorious inheritance that is yours in Jesus. The problem with humanity is not that we desire too much, it's that we're too easily satisfied. And you think you're living a fulfilled life and you don't know what you're talking about because you're like the kid playing in the gutter. And the Bible's prayer for you is that you may know the hope that God's called you to and that you may know the glorious inheritance because then, you'll be able to say no to sin. Sin comes and offers you something, and you just say, what? That is pathetic compared to what I'm waiting for. That's what the book of Hebrews said about Moses. Moses, we know the story, he's a Jew. Pharaoh's killing all the Jewish boys. He gets put on the river. He gets gets taken over on the other side. And uh, someone in Pharaoh's household, a young girl picks him up, a princess, Raises him in, uh, in, in Pharaoh's palace. And the riches of Egypt are his, if he just wants them. As a prince, he could probably have woman, wine, song. He could do whatever he liked. And the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 says, he said no to the pleasures of sin, to the mud pies of sin. He said no because he was looking ahead towards his reward. He wasn't a martyr. He wasn't a party pooper. He was a wise investor. I want to say to you if you don't have a proper perspective, you'll be holding on to things in the present that actually you should let go of. I pray that God might give you the spirit so that you will be awakened spiritually, so that you can discern what's a mud pie and what is truly eternal and worth desiring so I urge you to pray for that. Again, you need revelation. It's not just from inside. It's not that you can learn something. You actually need God to do something. Lastly, the third thing that we can know when God opens our eyes is the immeasurable greatness of God's power for us who believe. I wanna give you another job to do. You can just tell the person next to you. Just think about this. If you're thinking about the power of God the most hectic display of the power of God in the history of the cosmos, what is it? What would you go for? If you were going to explain to someone else, the power of God was most on display in this moment, quickly share it with someone else. No, not with us. Share it with your neighbor. What, what is it? Is it creation? Is it the Red Sea? Is it Jericho? What moment puts on display the power of God? Okay, so you're not going to have to shut out your answers, but this is where the Apostle Paul goes. When he's thinking of the immeasurable greatness of God's power, he goes to the cross, and he thinks about Jesus, not just dying on the cross, but actually on Easter Sunday, rising from the dead and defeating sin, Satan, and death for us. Friends, Jesus' resurrection, when when God raised Jesus, it was just a foretaste of a mighty resurrection that's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Because every single person who's ever put their faith in Jesus will be raised from the dead. And everyone who's still alive will rise to meet Him in the sky, and then God will restore all things, and He will declare, behold, I'm making all things new and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and there will be no sin, Satan, tears or death forever. And so the power of God displayed when Jesus was raised from the dead is the power that is available to you and I when we pray. Do you remember that quote about Satan trembling when a a Christian's on their knees? When you get down and you pray in the mighty name of Jesus, Friend, you have no idea the power that is unleashed. And Paul wants you to know that power. Paul wants you to know that people's lives can be turned around, marriages can be restored, uh, people's, people's emotional state, their physical state, their financial state, the, the state of a country can be turned around if we will just access the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And so we actually have to pray That our lives, we're in danger of becoming like a secular society that doesn't really believe in the power of God. Friends, the power of God is real. We have seen it time and a time again in this church, and I would urge you to start praying, Lord, I want to know more of the immeasurable greatness of your power in my life. It'll change your Monday. Let me bring it to a close. Verse 21 to 23 comes back to the theme that we started with the theme of God's sovereign power and His authority. The reason why you should pray, because there's no reason to pray unless God is sovereign and all-powerful. Friends, Jesus wasn't just raised back to life. Jesus was seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, far above all other rule and authority, power and dominion. And as we sang earlier, He has a name that is like no other name. It's a name that is never going to be challenged, whether it was in the past, in the present, or the future. His name is Jesus. And when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. You might have wondered, why do Christians do that? Why do they pray in Jesus' name? It's because the authority of heaven is in the name of Jesus, because He's our King. And so, when you pray, When you pray in Jesus' name, you are weakness leaning on omnipotent power. When you pray, it's like you're bringing down the power of heaven into the present. And I would urge you to do that. So as a conclusion, we should pray for ourselves. And we should pray for others that we would know God better. And secondly, we should pray that we would know the hope that he's called us to. We would know the glorious inheritance that is ours, so we wouldn't settle for mud pies when He's got so much more for us, and we would know the immeasurable great power of Jesus in our lives and over the loved ones that we're praying for. We're going to close tonight by having communion, and I'm going to give you something to do in communion, and uh, if you're a visitor with us, you can just choose to participate or not participate, but I'd encourage you to participate, and so we're going to hand out some forms. If those can go out right now, we've got some little invitations to Alpha. If we could could just have the slide, I want to join the dots here for you. In February next year, we're going to be running a thing called the Alpha Course, which is really for anyone who's got questions about faith, and that might even be you. And so you could sign up tonight if you wanted to. You could come speak to me. But we are going to fill this place with people who don't yet know Jesus in February. And what I want you to do is I want to connect what I've just been preaching about with Alpha in February 2019. And so we've got a little card for every single person. I want you to grab one of those. And on the back of that card is a space for three names. The prayer that we've just been listening to is a prayer that Paul was praying for others. And I want to urge you to think right now. And if you've got a pen, you could even write their names down right now. If you don't do it now, I know you'll forget and it'll go into file 13. But I want you to write down the names of three people who don't yet know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, write your name first and then think of two friends. And I want you, if you were to invite someone to go to something in February, in November, it would be awkward. Would you agree? You agree, dear So I don't want you to invite them just yet. I just want you to start praying for them. What are you going to pray? You're going to pray what we heard tonight. Pray that they might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that they would know God better. Pray that God would start to prepare the ground in their lives because God wants to bless them. And start praying for them. Start praying for them. Put it, on your, put it in your Bible. Put it on your side table. And you just start praying for them. That's all you need to do. You don't even need to invite them to anything. But let's pray that God would do what we've just read about in the lives of other people. And we're going to, Alpha is an amazing course. We basically have supper together every single night. We watch an excellent Video presentation that kind of covers all the big questions of faith that people normally have in a very non-judgmental and amazing atmosphere. And so I want to encourage you, write down the names of some guys. You're not handing that in, that's just for you, and I urge you to start praying over them. How are we going to connect that with communion? because we're going to close now. I want you to quickly, let's not talk about the rugby or anything else. really, let's not talk about the rugby. I want you in just a moment, there's two tables at the back, there's one in the front. I'd love you to just come and get the bread and to get the grape juice and go back to your seat and then I'm gonna lead you and we're gonna close tonight by having communion and we're gonna pray for those names that you're thinking of or that you've already written down. So let's go and get get some bread, let's go and get some grape juice and uh, then come back to your seats. We'll close in just a moment but I just wanna lead us in communion. So not you get for me? Will you get one for me? Shot. And when you come back to your seat, maybe you can just stand. We're all just going to stand together. I urge you to use uh, Ephesians chapter one as a template for praying for yourself and for praying over others, whether they know Jesus or not. We're gonna pray for people right now. This, This that you're holding, these elements, this bread that's been broken, it was one loaf, it's been broken, is symbolic that Jesus' body was broken for you and me. Just have a look at that bread. And just know the truth that Jesus had his body broken so that you, if you put your faith in Jesus, you will never have to face the punishment for your sin. You will never have your body broken by the wrath of God against sin because Jesus' body was broken for you. And even as you eat that bread now, I want you to pray for those people that you know that don't yet know Jesus and pray that God would show himself to them. Amen. Let's take the bread. Thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken for us. Thank you, Lord, that because your body was broken, Lord, we will not have to face the punishment for our son. And Lord, we wanna give that good news to our friends. We want them to know the joy of knowing forgiveness. This red grape juice that's in your hand is just a symbol of Jesus' blood that flowed. I say, what, what's the point of that? I don't understand that. Well, in the Bible, because of sin, there has to be a death. There had to be a sacrifice. And so Jesus' blood flowed for you and for me. But when you look at that red grape juice, what I want you to know is that because Jesus paid the price with his life, you can be forgiven, that's what that is, this is hope right there in your hands. And I don't care what you've done or what you haven't done, the blood of Jesus, asking Jesus to forgive you is the only thing you ever need to do. Jesus said we have to actually become like children to get this, it's not complicated, it's amazing and it's mysterious and it's deep, but it's actually simple, Jesus' blood washes you white as snow, and again, I want you to think of friends that you know that don't yet know Jesus and they don't even know the joy of forgiveness, but you do. And so I urge you to pray for them. But thank Jesus in your own words just as you, as you take that grape juice. Thank you, Lord. Don't worry about the cup. Maybe just hold it in your hand. I just wanna pray and then we'll close. Oh Jesus, I thank you for every person here tonight. And I pray over them Lord, I pray that every person might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that they may know you better. Lord, that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened so that they could know the glorious hope you've called them to and the glorious inheritance that you want to give them. And Lord, that they would know the immeasurable greatness of your power that is theirs in Jesus' name. I ask that in your name, end.